Here we go, guys. Episode 19 of the C Squared podcast. Uh, we are in 2023. So happy New Year's to you. Happy New Year's, Fabi. Um, before we get into the pod, we did something just before the year's end. We created a new clips channel. So I will link it somewhere in uh, the description below. Check it out. We're going to post a lot of clips there um, taken from the podcasts, from the long form podcast uh, to a more digestible uh, short form content. So check it out. And uh, yeah, let's get right into the pod. Fabi, 2023, how was, uh, how was the transition? How, how did you spend New Year's? Well, I got back quite early on the 31st. I took a long trip, but I still got back early because the time difference was five hours. And then I just sort of chilled. I mean, I was a bit tired after the tournament mm, mm. and uh, and after the travel. So, yeah, had a very chill um, uh, day and New Year's Eve and uh, had an early morning on uh, the first day of 2023. I decided it'd be good to, you know, start the year off well, not, not sleep in, have an <laughs> early morning. How about you? What do you do? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Uh, well, I would assume the photo that you sent me, the one that we posted on uh, the community tab with the cat that was taken on the first, right? Yeah, that was. That's your cat. Uh, that, that That's pretty cool. Actually, speaking of cats, I got uh, a third cat um, and it's a complete mess in the house right now. Um, we went on, I think it was the 31st that we went and we got a new cat for absolutely no reason. Uh, myself and, and and my fiance and uh yeah we ended up with a, a third wheel and right now i'm kind of mediating fights between between cats because uh my two initial cats are not really acceptable of uh this third one but it's quite interesting to see because so i have a male cat i had before i got the third one which is a female i had a male and a female cat and they were from the same litter so uh they were kind of you know uh, good with each other, brother and sister, hanging around for pretty much their whole lives. And now, uh, by the inclusion of the third one, it, 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 all the power dynamic has changed. So the male is trying to basically just impose himself on all of them to show that he's the alpha. Um, so he's hissing at the new one. And initially, the female also started hissing at the new one. But recently, she's kind of sub subsiding. Uh, the new one is hissing quite uh, aggressively at the female. So she's trying to uh, basically assert her dominance over the female and uh, show the male that he's the dominant guy. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting power dynamic. And I feel like the yeah, new one cats... is trying to take the place of the female cat. Cats are funny. Um, <laughs> In the pecking but order. But they'll get used to it after a while. There's always that that period, right? I hope so. No, they'll 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 get used to one another. I mean, they well, they'll have to live with each other. So I don't even uh, know why we started this podcast talking about cats. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, you have cats. I mean, I, I have a cat who is um who's never seen another cat. Really. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how he would react to uh, to that. You know, it's uh, because he's he's very fine with humans. Like he gets along well with humans, uh, even strangers. You know, we, a lot of chess players have met this cat, and he always gets along pretty 
well and he's not afraid of them. He's usually relatively social. He's a social cat in general, likes to play. Not um, very affectionate, but quite social. Mm-hmm. But other cats, you never know because then it's uh, it's like competition, right? Mm-hmm. Cats, you know, they recognize us as uh, as friends. Humans are, are friends, but cats could be competition. They're very territorial. Yes. Yeah. Very very territorial. Yeah. So right now I'm yeah just trying to kind of figure out where uh, where I stand in terms of in terms of what how to how to deal with this situation this cat situation and I don't have a lot of days left because I'm leaving in a couple of oh, days yeah. to Seattle yeah, that's true. and then I'm actually leaving for a full month so I'm leaving my fiance with uh, this whole situation and she's not yeah I think, it. <laughs> I think you gotta wait it out <laughs> yeah. until they just get accustomed to the new living arrangements yeah at least they're not fighting so that's good they're hissing at each other but they're not like actually slapping um, each other so that's good now one of one of the things that I was noticing on social media is that a lot of people were having problems coming back from Kazakhstan, like catching their flights and flights were getting delayed. There was uh, some sort of a snowstorm. You didn't have any problems with that. I had no issues. I went via Qatar. Um, so my, my route was uh, Almaty to Doha, Doha to Spain, to Madrid, which I, I took on purpose because I, I like the airline. You know, it's it's very comfortable good service um and my trip was extremely easy which you know it hasn't always i because i travel a lot and this year uh well i shouldn't say this year last year 2022 hasn't been so easy in terms of traveling yeah i had a lot of uh delays i had a lot of luggage which got lost like usually you know luggage doesn't get lost but i I was having um, my luggage lost even on direct flights so trips like Amsterdam to Madrid, uh, or after the candidates, I went to play Bundesliga, Madrid to Bremen. It's a direct flight, luggage loss. It's like this happened three, four flights in a row. And I think a part of it was um, was the airlines had a, a worker shortage or worker shortages mm-hmm. uh, across many of the airlines, like KLM, Lufthansa. A lot of these European airlines were struggling. Uh, but yeah, this last trip was very easy. On the way, it wasn't as easy. I, I was taking uh, United, and I don't know why, but two days in a row, the flight um, going from uh, St. Louis, Newark, and Newark to uh, Madrid uh, was canceled. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know why, because the weather was fine. I was checking the wind wind was 10 miles an hour no rain no snow not very cold nothing nothing that could impact a flight yeah uh and just canceled it was very strange but i finally i i arrived two days later than i had initially planned to but coming back was very easy so that was nice um, Thanks. thankfully it wasn't uh, yeah. the whole debacle with southwest right because it was a huge no, no, no. huge problem here in the u.s yeah. I think they canceled about like 90% of their flights. It was a complete disaster. They, complete they canceled collapse. nearly nearly 4,000 flights from what I heard. Ridiculous. Absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Do you know the reason why for that? Uh, so the way I understood it is that they have some sort of a system where uh, flight attendants and pilots travel from city to city. 
and they change planes and they go on different routes and things of that nature and their whole system tracking those pilots and flight attendants collapsed and they didn't know where people are <laughs> pretty much yeah is, is that what happened is that what you well, understand the issue was that so from what i i read about this it wasn't an automated system it was everything was done manually what uh, so <laughs> and eventually after a long period of this um things just fell apart how do you do that you know, manually you just keep like an excel spreadsheet or <laughs> well i think what they were doing was that they had a system where um they would call and and that's how they would keep track of where pilots and flight crews were but this was this was not like input into a computer system from from what i understand about it and so once like one flight gets delayed or, mm -hmm. or one uh, pilot doesn't make it or you know whatever the issue is then they rely on um a call to to get that figured out and eventually it just all fell apart yeah it became yeah untenable. i mean i would assume it was also aided by the fact that uh it, there was some sort of a uh, snow or like uh, cold storm sweeping through the u.s and a lot of the flights were actually just getting canceled because of the weather but obviously yeah, not probably a combination 90%. of those yeah of yes. those things they couldn't all the uh cancellations and delays i guess they just couldn't couldn't keep track of with their system and uh, coupled that with uh holiday travel as well yeah and there was another thing with them i saw they had this policy and i don't know if this was really a factor but the policy was that if uh, someone is feeling sick not to um sorry if someone reports in sick they have to like provide some sort of uh doctor's notice or something hmm. some proof of that they wanted mm -hmm. proof mm -hmm. of sick leave which i don't know if that played a part but uh i can imagine that workers were not too pleased that they were like that they were under suspicion for faking uh, illness to get out of work yeah yeah no that's that that's a big one um and obviously okay workers as workers yeah they, they, they were definitely not happy but imagine just being a traveler and um you know thinking about all these nice holidays that you're going to spend with your family and then being stranded in airports for like two three days mm -hmm. at a time um yeah and i had some students actually that left from colombia and unfortunately for them had to go with southwest um and they got stranded two two days spent christmas day uh in in airports so it, it was pretty painful for sure but yes yeah. uh, travel... traveling can really be uh, a nightmare if it doesn't go well you get stuck places uh it used to be a lot worse though i, I was talking to someone about this recently but i don't know if you remember the days like I'll say early 2000s late 90s um when you know you would you would board a plane and then you would just sit on the runway for hours i don't remember those uh, days i wasn't traveling as much you were probably traveling much more because you were also playing much more most likely i i like i have vague memories of this i remember being in new york going on a plane and then you just sit there for six hours really oh, and, wow. <laughs> and then they had to um implement laws against this that airlines could not hold people for hours and hours on a flight and i i think this had to go through like a court system like there was lawsuits about this before it actually got fixed but it, it used to be a real issue 
Um, and they realized that this is, it's unhealthy, it's dangerous to hold people for a very long time in, you know, cramped conditions. But yeah, things got better. Now, if there's a delay, like you hear about it at least. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You, yeah. You can, you can somewhat plan around it you, for, for the most part. Sometimes, of course, it, it sneaks up on you and, uh, and you get screwed over. I mean, I remember this, uh, probably my worst traveling experience was I was connecting, let me think, I think Rhode Island to. So this is a domestic flight. Yeah. 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 To, I think it was to Cleveland. Anyway, the, the, the first flight doesn't really matter, but once I get to the airport and I have like a three hour, um, three hour connection time, then you know, we board the plane and it's already a bit of a delay, but we board the plane and we're kind of just sitting there for a while and there's some sort of commotion in the front. And finally they say like, you know, we're having trouble getting the door closed, which is already concerning. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're supposed to have, you're not supposed to have a door open. You're supposed to flight. be able to close the flight. You're supposed <laughs> to be able to close the door, but eventually they are, you know, half an hour passes or maybe 45 minutes. And they're like, okay, we got it closed. They had they had some technicians coming in, and okay, I'm not someone who worries excessively, so I was like, okay, this is this should be fine. But um, as soon as we're like, you know, backing out of the the runway, suddenly the lights go off for like a second in the entire plane, and then they immediately turn back on. You got you but guys this were is another... in the air or no no no, no. You, we, you we were had, not we in the air. Hadn't... We hadn't even gotten like out of the, um, like the, our like starting the taxi point. place. Yeah. 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 We hadn't got, gotten out of the starting point yet, but the lights just turn off for like a brief second. And so they stopped the plane again. Um, they announced eventually we have an electrical problem and they worked on it for a while. Now, like probably two hours have gone by that we've been in, in, in the plane and eventually they're like, yeah, we just can't, uh, fix this. So, so we had, we need everyone to get the off the plane yeah. and we waited, I don't know, like five hours or so, um, because they needed to get a new plane. And, uh, that was, it was a rough trip because that wasn't the last of my flights, but that was an eight hour delay totally when that's, but that's the fact bad. that the plane had two, two completely unrelated, uh, problems, you know, first the door and then an electrical problem. Yep. That's that's a pretty bad plane. <laughs> I haven't had anything like that before. That that's a terrible plane. That, that's yeah. I mean I mean my planes usually have like some windshield wipers in in the cockpit problems type of thing, but once you hear electrical problem, then you know that's an but issue. Then, then you know it's it's over. You don't want to you don't want to ever go on that plane again. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean the door. Okay, door we can. It happens can, occasionally, right? Like they have some problems closing the door. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, um, now that we got the travel part of the podcast, we're soon going to become a cat and travel podcast. Um, but now let's talk about chess because uh, there were a couple of world championships being held in Kazakhstan. That was a lot of fun, I have to say. Um, I did not get to see a lot of the games live. Obviously, I was checking them after the fact and unfortunately i was unable to watch uh, a lot of the broadcast because um for me it was starting at around 3 a.m and it was finishing around 8 a.m 
so it's just uh impossible timing for north america which kind of sucks but it is what it is you cannot you cannot make it happen for everybody but the games were definitely fun the games were very very tense tell us a little bit your experience you started off um in the rapid portion with let's say a slower day how did you feel first of all actually and i think this is one thing that we were talking before in the podcast before um the world rapid and blitz is that there will probably be some problems with jet lag did you did you accommodate in time were you still feeling the jet lag i was hearing people coming from north america complaining about that hikaru for example he he said he had quite severe jet lag in the first few days did you accommodate with that yeah so i I actually traveled um with hikaru which was was kind of funny uh because i i get to istanbul and of course we didn't travel on the same flight to istanbul because i assume he was coming from maybe florida or wherever you know he's living Mm -hmm. and i'm coming from spain but i see him at the gate when we're we're about to board the istanbul to almaty flight and we get on the plane and we're like we sit next to each other and it, it was kind of it was kind of funny because you know there was there were a lot of seats that we could have been at you know, yeah. the, the entire like first section was pretty much empty um but we we sat next to each other and we didn't talk too much we talked a little bit before the flight took off and then he went to sleep and i started watching some movies uh so you guys were, we were not sitting on the same row but actually next to each other in terms of seats yeah, yeah? adjacent seats um i think it was like two uh two a and b something like that i was two b <laughs> that's funny uh, but yeah we, we talked a little bit he asked me if i was planning to play the um american cup things like you know some like general chess questions uh and we arrived at the hotel at the same time which was early in the morning we checked in pretty much the same time. We were at the same hotel. Uh, players were separated. Like we were at the Hilton. Uh, a lot of players were at this hotel called the Rixos, which was like a, a local hotel. Uh, I think that was probably the most populated hotel. Our hotel had Hikaru, um, Eric Hansen, Amon Hamilton were there with their um, uh, the guy who films uh, for them. His yep. name is Jeff. He's uh, like their Azure film or everything. And um, so I was hanging out quite a bit with the chess bra crowd, mm. uh, which was good. You know, I'm, I'm friends with them. They're they're fun to hang out with. How fun to hang out with? Cool guys, as you know. Of course, yeah. And and uh, so yeah, I, I didn't have any problems with jet lag. I mean, I got up very early the first day. I had like two days to adjust. Got up very very early. Went to the gym the first day, like six in the morning. You got the some gym, gym going. Open That's yet. nice. That's nice. The lights were off. I was like, I see the sign for the gym, but then I get there. It's like, no, I can't see. It. It's pitch black. So I go to the reception. I'm like, is the gym open? And he's like, yeah, 24 hours a day. And I'm like, okay, but there's no lights on. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, after the initial few days, I, I got up like normal times, like eight and eight in the morning. And uh, yeah, it was a slow start. I think we started with three and a half out of five, right? In the first day or three out of five, either three or three and a half out of five. I started with um, two wins and three draws. Mm. So three and a half Uh, out of five. Three and a half. Yeah. So it really wasn't ideal because I was winning all the games at some point that day. Like I won two games. First, I win with um, the white pieces 
then I draw with black who let me try to remember this but you didn't lose any games in the first round if I remember correctly no I didn't but but it was it was probably the most disappointing day I had really hmm. and and I'll, I'll say why I'll just like go through the games very quickly I'm just gonna jog my memory mm -hmm. um I'll refresh it for you. So first you played Linchevsky. You started off with a win with the yeah, white pieces. Yeah, so I, I beat Linchevsky in the first round. I have to say, probably not the smoothest game, you know, but but still uh, a win. Then I draw Marty Rosian, but I am winning at some point in that game. But it, I was also somewhat worse out of the opening, so um, you can say it was an up and down game. I, I was definitely in some danger, strategic danger out of the opening, but at some point I was simply winning. Mm-hmm. And uh, so drew that. Then I beat Moisienko with White. That's a good pretty result. decent game, I yeah. thought. Yeah. Then the then the trouble starts. So two and a half out of three is pretty good. But then I play Svane. I show like a sort of interesting idea in the opening, a rather rare idea against Svane with Black. Uh, he blunders. I get a completely winning position, and like I make a very elementary blunder in the game early on in the opening. Yeah. You know he he sacks an exchange. And then he misses this rook seed. And ah, this was the reverse Grunfeld you played, right? Or yeah. reverse Grunfeld exactly. and you sacrifice the exchange. And I think even what's his name? Um PH was mentioning it on his uh, Twitter. It was some sort of a an idea proposed by I believe it was Bruce Pandolfini actually, a long time, long, long time Bruce ago. Bruce Pandolfini? Uh, exactly. Yes. I, I I think they were mentioning oh. that and they were wondering whether it had anything to do with with you actually uncorking it no so i uh the reason why i i mean i kind of knew the idea but um definitely not through bruce although i do sometimes talk a little bit to bruce you know he was he was my coach when i was young mm -hmm. and uh we're not in touch too often these days but every now and then but definitely not in terms of openings like we don't we don't discuss chess really but if Bruce, it, it like, might not be Bruce. <laughs> it that would be that would be very very funny to me because he's not an opening guy, and this is like a modern opening idea. And I'm sure many people know it. Like I spoke to Anish during the tournament; he knew about the idea. He knew about the idea. Okay. Um, like I'm sure many uh, knowledgeable opening specialists know about this. Yeah. But not like the average person. That would surprise me enormously. So uh, anyway, that that I missed this tactic early in the opening was like inexcusable. I thought mm -hmm. it was a very very basic, simple tactic. Mm -hmm. And later, I was probably also winning. So it was like a terrible game all around. Then I play Shimano with White, and I think I'm playing like a brilliant game, like a really high quality game. And then I completely messed up once it's winning, and I have like three minutes to to his like thirty seconds. So I'm just like crushing the guy and I completely let him slip away. So that was the first day. It was like, it was a big disappointment because I really felt like from those games, I need needed to have at least won one more at the very least. Yeah. Like four out of five was basically the bare minimum. Actually, the game um, with Shimanov is the one that I remember because I somehow woke up in time to see that live. And I saw that you got a good position out of the opening and I was like, okay, this is going to be a... A model end game technique right execution but it didn't turn out to be that way and 
just to correct myself, it wasn't actually Bruce. It was uh, John Watson. And yeah, it I, I stuck with my memory because uh, we, we spoke about John Watson and he mm -hmm. talked about his books. Um, but yeah, it was John John Watson in 2008. Yeah, it's, it's a good idea. Like it works out. It's impressive that even in 2008, uh, John Watson knew about this idea because it's it's not an idea I knew about until recently. And I suspect that old engines basically just said white is winning. But modern engines show that black is, is completely fine in this line. Uh, but yeah, it, quite impressive. Uh, you know, the thing is, Watson, like we spoke about him before, he, he wrote very, very long books about modern opening ideas. Yeah. Um, Secrets of Modern Chess Strategy, um, Chess Strategy in Action, I think those are the two. I, I, I used to have those books. I'm not sure if I still do. But these are all about like modern opening ideas and exchange sacrifices in the opening definitely uh, fall into that category. So that that this is sort of like in his purview is not too surprising, but that like this specific one, it's still very impressive. He, he knew about uh, 14, you know, 15 years ago. That's very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, took yeah. us to, to the to the second day and uh the second day was a bit if i remember correctly was a bit painful it's definitely started off painfully with with a loss right against yeah, Keimer. So, yeah so ridiculous first game and this is like basically i'm like you know already writing off my tournament after this game because i i'm better out of the opening or at least then then it's complicated than it, worse or who knows what the, we get an end game which is a draw bishop at four against rook at three i know that this is a draw um and it's kind of going along predictable lines until i blunder a very very basic tactic h5 in a position where it's already like i was ready to shake hands and i just kind of let my concentration slip for a second blunder h5 lose on the spot and um at that point you know plus one not a very inspiring score no no, but the no. rest of the games went perfectly. I won my next three games. Yeah, Ponkratov, and... Savchenko, uh, nice, nice comeback, and then I believe it yeah. was against uh, Garev as well. Yeah, that's the third. And the second the day, one. there were only four games compared to the. Yeah, first so the the schedule was five four, first four. day, four games, and then four games last day. Yeah, and against Ponkratov in the second round of the second day, I was dead lost at the <laughs> like like terrible position I, I realized it too but i was ready basically to take any risk to win this game so i wasn't like you know despairing and the second the, against savchenko uh also i was like ready to take any risks to win and then against Garev, um he like the next day he was like you played a brilliant game he came up to me he was like oh this peace sacrifice was brilliant because I think he checked with the engine, and the engine was like, "Yeah, this this piece sacrifice actually works for it." And uh, was it opening prep yeah. or no? No, no, this was like in time trouble. Uh -huh. I had a piece sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Timur. I was uh, seeing a lot of pictures of Timur. He's uh, always a very expressive um, guy wherever he plays. It's funny because he doesn't actually play that much, but I also always see him at this World Rapid and blitz competitions he definitely enjoys the faster time controls now yeah, i played him last year as well yeah in, and he, in he does well 
he's he's a really good very very talented player especially when it comes to um, rapid play actually timur was close to 2700 if he didn't even surpass it at one point it was many many years ago but i remember he was touted as a very very serious prospect for sure coming out of uh, out of college now <clears throat> well i'll tell you um his peak rating was 2682 82 yeah and he was yeah yeah close to 2700 for sure i i mean he he is like an undeniably a very talented player and he's known for having like this blindfold chess simul record right yeah i don't know exactly how many games he's played blindfolded at the same time um 48 uh, just like reading here yep yep 48 and i i think he was trying to break some records uh i don't think he managed to do so but still um yeah the amount of games that well i, I think that there's two records so one is the uh one is the blindfold record where the player has access to score sheets so can use those to um you know recover the position if it's ever lost in memory and the other record is if the player cannot use score sheets, so has to co commit every single game to, to memory perfectly, or uh, or you'll just lose the game. Right? Really, I I actually did not know that. Um... I think so. Hmm. Uh, I I remember reading about this distinction in Tony Miles' uh, book, which was like a compilation of his articles that he wrote called "It's Only Me," which is an anagram for Tony Miles, right? Yeah. Uh, and he once did a blindfold cycle, and I don't remember the exact number of boards. It was something like 12 boards, maybe. So not as many as, you know, players have done by far, but still very impressive to play 12 boards simultaneously blindfold. And he spoke about the difficulties in that, especially in the openings and transpositions, uh, because if you have two games that are similar from the opening stage, then it's very easy to get them mixed up. Yeah yeah no uh... so so he mentioned that like there are blindfold simuls where the the uh simul giver can uh, have access to score sheets and those where um where they can't yeah no. uh, i assume that grave didn't have access to i score don't sheets think he had i don't think he had it I, I i believe if he did it would have been reported on i remember quite uh interesting pictures and i think it was uh, on one of the covers of us just life magazine it mm -hmm. was him uh pedaling on on a bike mm -hmm. with a blindfold on and he was pedaling he was saying that he's pedaling on the bike keeping this very uh steady pace so that he can uh keep his mind focused on the games mm -hmm. very very interesting yeah. techniques that he was implementing and leading up to that he was also on a very strict diet if i remember correctly but yeah um very very uh interesting character uh mm -hmm. if i might say i remember uh, some funny stories about you, you you know the story about him going missing in mexico i think it was in mexico her i haven't um, heard the story it, it, it might not be mexico it might be peru i'm not 100 sure about the country but um apparently he went to play a tournament and uh he played the first round he won the first round and then uh, he was on the bus going towards the second round and then the bus had to stop because there was some sort of a protest and uh, he actually asked the bus driver to open the door he joined the protest 
and nobody ever saw him during that tournament again. <laughs> so he just disappeared. We drew from the tournament, and that was it. So uh, yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he's an interesting character for sure. <laughs> a bunch of uh, a bunch of those stories about Timor. So that was uh, day two. Finished on three out of four. That's pretty decent. And yeah, we were actually so... discussing this um, after that, and we were thinking that probably three and a half out of four should be mm -hmm. the result that would put you on on top position yeah actually we we called it pretty much perfectly um we were saying three and a half out of four would probably tie for first and that's exactly what would have happened so the or the three out of four but you have to beat magnus on the way yes that's well that actually would not have worked out either really uh yeah i'll say why so the first round playing Federer Seven, I kind of recognize that this is a must win. And um, I basically just played a line which I didn't really know much about, but kind of had some vague recollection that I have to sacrifice a pawn. And I, did, I, I went into it like knowing that I don't remember how to sacrifice a pawn, how to continue after I sack the pawn here. But anyway, I have to do it because otherwise I'm not, not going to play for a win. So I sack the pawn um, and figure, okay, I'll... I'll try to figure this out as we go along. And he made this, I think it was like more or less decisive mistake in the game, even though, of course, not objectively, but from a practical point of view, he made this move knight b6. He could have taken on a2, and then I was more or less not sure what I could do besides play rook a1 and chase his queen around and make a repetition like this. Of course, a repetition. I wasn't sure what else I could do. But he plays knight b6, and then I could play queen c2. And he can no longer trade bishop with bishop d6 because rook b3. So after queen, so, ah, queen takes a2, if you take on b7, he has queen a6. Yeah, queen a6 so wins a rook. Wins a rook, yeah. So I was very happy he plays knight b6, and basically I just steamroll him from that point forward. Because after that mistake, like it's very easy for me to play. It's probably very difficult for him to play, and, and the game goes very smoothly. And I think it was actually a very high-quality game yeah. from that point forward. Like, for a rapid game... I was very proud of the, the level I showed and um, how I put pressure on him. And okay, after that, I, I played Dubov. No, that was that was that was a really good game. And also, Fedosev is is a very good uh, rapid player. It's quite well known. Yeah, and, and he was ahead of me. I was I actually had, was playing up in the rankings. He was a half point ahead of me. So that I won this game was extremely important for me. And then you played Dubov. So after that, I played Dubov, and I'm playing Dubov with Black and. Like, I know Dubov pretty well as a player. We've played quite a bit in uh, Rapid and Blitz Chess, but not very much. Um, actually, I don't know. I think we played only one game in Classical. But I, ha I have a pretty good idea of his, uh, his uh, style, his openings. Um, he's obviously very, very uh, imaginative, creative player. That's his uh, reputation, and it's true. And... Uh, He's also a Catalan player. That's like the other thing you know about him. He likes to play the Catalan. <laughs> yeah, he worked with, it's not, with Magnus. Not exclusively, but like he, he's a Catalan player. That's also one of the reasons why Magnus plays the Catalan, played yeah. the Catalan in the World Championship. Is um, Dubov is, a, is an expert and he's constantly finding these sort of ideas in the Catalan. He's like pawn sacrifices that the computer underestimates. That's his... <clears throat> Special. That's his thing, right? Yeah. 
and he plays a catalog against me and i'm like okay what do i 10 seconds before the game i'm like what do i do against the catalog because of course i can play like the solid main line where black sacks upon the way that for example Dion plays in the match um the way that hikaru plays consistently uh Including the candidates, the way that like Rajava plays, the way I mean, the all line, these the like, top players. B5. Yeah. Yeah, the B5 line where you, you sack a pawn and you basically try to force a draw. But like, this is not very, this doesn't make much sense. I'll get a slightly worse position. Um, no chances to win. I'll probably make a draw. I'll struggle a bit. Like, what's the upside to this? So instead, I choose a another line where I feel like I'll get more fighting chances. And uh, I get a slightly worse position. Actually, let me just. Yep. Uh, and, and you started with Bishop before, actually, some sort of a Bogo Indian. And then only after Knight BD2, you started playing with like B6 and things of that nature. So you didn't enter the main, let's say, main line of the Catalan or main lines well, of the Catalan yeah, with D5 first, right? I could have by playing D5, right? Yeah. Like he, he gave me this option. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, you I wanted didn't, something I didn't else. Want to go first. Um, so I, I got a slightly worse position. Like I, I played yeah, B6, Bishop B7, Bishop E7. Obviously, it's very solid, but it is slightly worse for black. Mm -hmm. And um, then I played like kind of a stupid move A5. I, I was starting to feel like I'm worse here. But my feeling was kind of wrong. You know, as I saw after the game that the engine always thought I had a more or less healthy, fine position. I would, I felt like I was under pressure, but it wasn't really the case. So I kind of misjudged the position. And he and offered, he, did he offer you a draw? Yeah, then he offers me a draw in a position where, you know, I, I thought I was worse. Mm. But the truth is that I was... It was about equal, but I was anywhere from slightly better to, to equal, right? Yeah. And I should have played on, but like, for some reason, I just felt like I was worse. Mm. Yeah. And uh, part of the reason was after E takes D5, I thought he'll play E3, and I underestimated the strength of D4. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the other thing was after E D5, Knight A4, Knight E4, Rook D1, I wasn't sure what this position was, and I was a bit worried that my center is very weak. But yeah. If I had known the evaluation, I would have uh, played on. Of course. But of yeah. course, that's, that's very easy, right? Uh, to say after the game. Yeah. Not, uh, not easy when you're in the heat of the battle, yeah? And yeah, it was an interesting draw for, like, from his point of view, I don't know if it made sense, but he told me after the game that he had just won this absolutely brilliant battle against uh, Anish Giri, and, um, and he actually ended up winning like the brilliancy prize in the tournament for that game. Yeah, that was an absolutely but, ridiculous game. I remember that. But he, he just said like, yeah, I just played this brilliant game and I don't want to spoil my tournament. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I understand. Um, from my point of view, I was thinking, yeah, this a draw is not the best result, but I don't like my position too much. I was mistaken about that, of course. Uh, and I thought still two more rounds to play and I'll probably play Magnus. So this game is not necessarily a critical one yeah that was my that was my thinking and uh but then you double then, black with yeah but I, I did play magnus i i did end up playing magnus the next round uh i was hoping not with black because with black 
yeah, winning chances are usually quite minimal, right? Uh, especially since, well, the, the good news was that Magnus had lost his previous game. Against if he Pantheon, had, right? If he had drawn that game or won that game, I think he would have just shut down against me. Like, I think he wouldn't wouldn't have taken any risks. But because he lost that game, he, uh, I think, was in a fighting mood. He wanted to win. But still, like, he, something was a bit off because he got this very, very nice position from the opening. And then he, like, quickly turned it into a worse position. I mean, he just had a very, like, stable slight advantage. And in like five moves, he turns this stable slight advantage with no risk into a worse position. And funny enough is a very similar structure to what you had against Dubov. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was similar in some ways, I guess, but, um, like it was only hanging pawns for a second Yeah, yeah. because when he took on c5, his idea was to take on d5. He actually should have maintained the hanging pawn position by playing e3 at some moment, right? And and then he has a, a bit of an advantage because d5 is a, is a very severe weakness. But it's not so easy to realize, like, how exactly to play. Of course, especially in a short, short uh, time but, control. But his yeah. decision to take on d5 was clearly, like, a result of, um, like, he was a bit off balance from the previous game. And you think he, he wanted to ice the game at that point? He just wanted to make a draw. I think he wanted to play in the safest possible way and thought this was more or less risk-free. Was he still leading the tournament or at that point? He even was after losing or just tied? He was tied with Artemio. Just tied. Actually, okay. Okay. So with normal results, he still had a very decent chance of at least making <laughs> it to the tie breaks. Yeah, of course. He was still in a good position. Yeah. But definitely a worse position than he had been yeah and then he he blundered rook d2 and he suddenly got into a dangerous situation like he had to make some rather accurate moves to uh like king g1 for example yeah was an accurate move you know like nothing too difficult but still he had to he was on the back foot yeah no, I mean, you make a mistake in this type of positions and suddenly you're just, uh, yeah, you're, you're, your position is irreversible. And um, he kind of like, after the game, he kind of called my best chance was instead of h5 to play g5. You guys chatted a it, bit after the game? Yeah, like, was there any chance for black? And he, he said, after h5, probably g5, g5, yeah. g5 is your only practical chance, which is correct. It's still a draw, but it was the only chance and, and then h5 there's nothing to do anymore yeah like yeah. and that's because you know, probably the knight gets stuck on h3 um yeah well i can't stay my a pawn um and yeah if i try to win the a3 pawn then i lose my knight on h3 which is probably also a draw but uh but not with not the kind of draw i want yeah so so i just repeated and um at this point, yeah, my my tournament hopes are pretty simple. I first of all, I need to win my last game. I'm playing Artemiev. That's the first thing. And then Magnus has to not win, and Keimer has to not win, and that's 
if I had filled all those criteria, then I would have gotten a playoff with Magnus. You don't get into or, the playoff, yeah. Or Keimer or both of them, right? Yeah. If somehow they had both lost, um, actually, I don't I don't even know what would have happened if they both, like, Maxudlu. Because there's their Maxudlu and MVL. Yeah, they, that. I don't know. I don't think Maxime was in the mix at all. Like, Maxime was a half point below me. Yeah. But I think Maxudlu was in the mix. Yeah, probably. Uh, Maxudlu is like, just dead lost out of the opening. He, he loses without any fight. Yeah. Uh, and I see that he's losing, but okay. It doesn't matter to me because anyway, I'm fighting for a good result regardless of, uh, of for, whether for or not. For a medal I'm... at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I had to win this game. It didn't, a draw gave, gives me nothing, right? It, to me, it was like a, a game I'm going to basically um, go all out if necessary. But I, like, I played my best game of the tournament. I mean, uh, this was like a, a very high quality game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that, that, that was. And, and by the way, there was like, he sets a small trick for me. At the end, he plays his rook d8. And my first thought is after rook d8, I can play knight takes h6 and I win on the spot. And I get excited because knight takes h6, g takes h6, there's queen g4. Yeah. And if king to h7, there's rook takes a fade and queen g7 mate. But he has uh, queen takes h6 and rook d1. Yes, queen takes h6, yeah? queen h6, rook d1. Yeah. And a very important check. Like if my king was on h2, this would work. But with the king on g1, he gives a check, he takes back the queen, and he ends up a piece up, and I lose the game, most likely. Yeah. Tricky, um, tricky. Then, <laughs> yeah, he was tricky, and he had like 18 seconds left. I had three minutes and a bit. And I calculate, calculate, I'm thinking, do I really have to play some like rookie three move or some retreating move? Something I don't want to do. I'm still better, but I'm not winning. Or do I have to take on D8? I'm still better, but I'm not winning yet. And then I suddenly this like 95 move. I just see. And Magnus is looking at the game at the same time. As soon as I play 95, he walks away, which is like the, the signal for this game is over. Um, which, of course, I also like after I saw 95, it's just he's overloaded. He can't uh, protect F7. So I also knew the game was over. So that was my best game of the tournament. Um, not enough for first, unfortunately, minus one. I mean, I was like, uh, you know, some sometimes you feel like you win a must-win game and you deserve to to be fighting for first, but sometimes the circumstances don't work out in your favor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, still, um, obviously, you go there to win the world championship, but a medal um, at such a competitive event is always a good feeling nonetheless. So, um, yeah. Bronze, Vincent Keimer, silver. He he was winning against Maxine in the last game, but didn't win. Actually, I kind Magnus. of wanted to. Uh, I had that in my notes uh, to to speak about Keimer because he was definitely. It, it definitely felt like a tournament that confirms uh, the fact that he has significant potential to, to to become really good. I mean, the guy is only eighteen and. He has the confidence, at least it feels like he has the confidence to play against the best. And he's also uh, pulling results, both in rapid, yeah. blitz, and classical uh, time controls, which is also some sort of a tell. Yeah, like the guy definitely has good intuition, um, good understanding, a good foundation of the game. And um, he's also good in long time time controls. So he can also think for a very long time and very well. So, 
definitely yeah, feels he's, like he's he has good. The, the right package. He's definitely good. How 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 do he's you feel like, about him? You you played him. Um, did you play in Blitz as well? Uh, yeah, in Blitz we made a very like uneventful draw. Yeah, yeah. And I played him in classical. I yeah. played him uh, in 2019. I think I think that's accurate. I beat him with black. He was very young. Um, he was winning the game, but yeah, he, he was win. 15. Yeah, at that point, which is he lost the game. Yeah, but but he was uh, he was winning. Um, that was in the Grenke Classic Tournament. I think 2019 is the accurate year. Mm-hmm. Um, no, he was dangerous then. He was like well prepared. He got a big advantage from the opening. I was kind of, you know, I was trying to like mix it up and play very risky. He's a clear like classical player. I mean, his coach is Peter Laco, right? Mm-hmm. He's he's a very classical, uh, positional player. So healthy, healthy chess, mm. the same style that you. Like Leiko, right? Yeah. Just very healthy, well-rounded chess. Um, he's young. He's a bit under the shadow of some of the other guys of his generation, right? Like Ali Reza. I I think but, definitely Ali Reza, but he's slowly but surely, you know, obviously making a very very significant name for himself. Well, that's the thing. Like the generation is so good. His generation, because it's. Let's say it's Ali Reza, it's Eric Aisi, it's Abdul Sitarov, it's Nihal um, Sari, right? Um, this is his generation of players. Yeah. These are these players are all separated by like one year. Hans like also. Eric Aisi is 19, yeah. Fruja is 19. Yeah, Hans, of course. Uh, Hans is 19, he's 2706. Um, a bit younger, but also, I mean, like there's players we... You know, we haven't mentioned, but who are also very good, like Sindaro. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Very, very talented. Gukesh, Gukesh, very talented. I, I don't mention Gukesh because he's a bit younger, he's right? Like he's a little bit younger. Yeah. 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 Uh, but still, that's. He might be a little bit like in the shadow of some of the other guys who are more. Um, who've had some like earlier success. Actually, Keimer had a, a lot of big successes himself, but. But like, okay, it's Bruja not as uh, publicized, right? It feels like his success, like you, you know, you have the Indian players, and then you have uh, some some social media uh, presence coming from from that part of the world with Chessbase India and uh, all the, the mediatization that comes with that. And then obviously you have Ali Reza, who is twenty eight hundred, so obviously he's going to get the bulk of it yeah yeah of um, course i mean ali reza has played the candidates right he's yeah. won the, <laughs> he's won the sinkfield cup i mean when uh like when you compare those accomplishments of course there's a difference but that being said kaimer is a 2700 player and he got a silver in a rapid world championship so he he could easily be a top player like we could see this happening oh yeah on the other hand he doesn't have unlimited time to get there it's a very fast-paced world now and 18 is already at the point where he needs to make a breakthrough uh like okay let's say my breakthrough came in 2012 that's when i became a top five player in the world you're 2012 i was 19. so i would say around this like 19 to 20 age is when you need to make your breakthrough yeah and so for all these guys like Besides Ali Reza, none of them have made a full breakthrough. So I think Arjun is the closest. Besides Perugia, he's the one who is like closest to being, uh, who who can establish himself as a top player. 
So um, based on your experience, what you're saying is that 2023 is extremely, extremely important for this uh, up and coming 2700s like Hans, Keimer, and well, I guess these two are right at that point, 19 years of age. Yeah, yeah. Well, so let, let's say uh, the guys who are around this age are Arjun, uh, Abdus Sitarov, Hans, Keimer, and Nihal. Yeah. And probably a little bit younger, probably not a little yeah. bit younger, right? Yeah. And Fruja is already established, so so we don't have to like talk about his breakthrough because he no. already had his breakthrough. He's 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 an elite player. Yeah. So from these group of players, and I, I don't count Gukesh because he's younger, so he he obviously will have a little bit more time to establish himself. Mm -hmm. uh, but if he wants to do it this year, that's that's great for him. <laughs> uh, but from this group of players, some of them will become top players by the end of the year. Like we'll have we'll have a few guys who are like twenty seven sixty. 2750 plus by the end of the year, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the question is who? If I would guess, the most likely to do it are Aragaisi and Abdus Sitarov, most likely candidates from my my opinion. Yeah. And least likely, um, is probably it's probably Hans. <laughs> I, mean, I, I I could be proven wrong, but uh I still feel like he has a long way to go to become a genuine top player that's an interesting uh point of view and it, it's it is definitely something that we should probably talk about because hans had a pretty abysmal showing at the at both the rapid and blitz um now there are also a lot of people talking in the online that he's definitely getting bullied every single time he loses his loss is on reddit discussed analyzed dissected and pretty much uh you know he's getting bullied in the comments so there's additional pressure on that i was also hearing rumors that at the beginning of the rounds or at the beginning of the championship he asked most of uh, the uh, media companies that were there to film the championship to actually not film film or at least stand afar from from his board um what 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 happened from the outside at least but you were still there in, in in Kazakhstan but from the outside how did it look and obviously you probably didn't have too much time to look at it but you were in the same on the same stage well okay we're gonna say I, I mean I don't like I follow his games the same way I follow any other player yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't watch closely I just saw that he had a massive moment of tilt at the end because at some point in rapid he was doing well he just like ended on a bunch of losses mm -hmm. so i don't know why he this tilt hit him i don't know what his emotions were i think it's ridiculous how uh you know every single game of his is dissected and like you know like these games don't have meaning you know he he blunders in a night two against night one end game and of course it's it's like a, a silly way to lose a game but doesn't mean anything about him as a player. Like strong players can do silly things like this. Yeah, it, it's it doesn't it doesn't really mean something. And to be frank, One, I mean, on the way to that, he also beat guys like Richie Report. So he was definitely showing instances of him being able to 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 play and be the best. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, he can play very well. But what's like very clear. If you see this game, he lost in like twelve moves. Is uh, he gets very tilted? Like he, he's obviously emotional, and uh, and yeah, we all get tilted, of course. 
but you know you can tell from his body language that he he stopped like playing chess basically he just he he kind of um gave up on the tournament on whatever and he was just throwing his pieces you know like there wasn't any thought to his play yeah uh, there was no concentration there was no focus uh, so yeah this is an issue that he has to work on because of course some players they they know how to maintain their focus even when things go wrong they, they don't get they don't get tilted or at least they don't get tilted to this degree i feel this is actually one of the things that separates you guys at like 2780 and basically the elite level players uh from the pack at 2700 like this ability to just shake off um any sort of tilt or at least severely shake it off uh, obviously you cannot do it 100 percent, but still being able to to recalibrate at those critical moments is just a huge 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 asset that you learn with experience um yeah i mean of course like we we get tilted too like i i'm i get tilted often and uh, sometimes dramatically on the other hand but you shake it off well okay this is an issue which you know which plagues a lot of people and uh, it's not easy to deal with it's like difficult to give advice like how do you get over bad emotions how do you not let your emotions affect you it's a difficult question uh, I, i'm just observing that it's something that he has to deal with yeah uh, as for the blitz like in the, in the blitz i didn't even see him i mean I, I don't think he had a very good result good result because i i don't think he was ever among the top boards so it couldn't have been too good yeah no um yeah it was how bad it was it, it was i, I really bad. don't <laughs> it, it it was pretty bad um what surprised... I, I suspect yeah that it was again a matter of like he got tilted at some point and lost a, a bunch of games in a row yeah 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 he did he did and he lost a lot of like swindles swindle games so yeah um so quite an interesting tournament for the young prospects um not a lot of things necessarily have been clarified but a lot of these uh players some of them at least got a, a boost in confidence and abdul satorov we didn't talk too much about him but he was coming from a significant victory i believe in the gashimov memorial uh, he actually dominated that tournament uh, against some very strong opposition and then obviously was in the mix at least uh, in, in in both the Rapid and Blitz. So definitely a player to continue to, to follow. And uh, yeah, um, Firuja's... Yeah, my, my Blitz was... Um, yeah, yeah, let's talk about the Blitz also. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, my Blitz was... Uh, well, it, it was very up and down. I think I had... 17 decisive games but um gain that right like 11 wins and six losses mm. um not many draws uh, i got i'm not a 100 percent sure i'm getting that right I, I know that i was plus five and i think i lost six games because i i had i achieved this remarkable feat of losing every single game when i got on stage <laughs> and that was four times so the stage was what top 10 boards or no stage was top four top four boards i got on the okay. stage four times i lost all four games and uh and then i lost two games on the non-stage boards but i won 11. <laughs> so my score was plus nine if, if i wasn't on stage <laughs> but yeah the the thing is i wasn't playing great but somehow i was still in the mix in the last round like i i had uh gotten to plus Mark, 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 yeah 
And I'm playing Ike, Martirosian, and he's plus, uh, plus seven, I'm plus six. He actually has a chance at light medals. I don't, but I still have a chance at a good tournament. I just need to win. A draw actually like doesn't do anything to me. Like a draw and a loss is more or less the same. I kind of need to win. And I get a winning position or very close to it. And I, I lose it like a safe pawn up. And of course I use the word safe relatively because we both have like 10 seconds and you know nothing's safe with 10 seconds. But I just like slowly lose one pawn, then another pawn, it all falls apart. I lose the game and he gets a bronze medal, yeah. which um, you know fully deserved uh, for him, but was very disappointing for me because you know I had won that game, I would have gotten maybe fifth place, maybe fourth place. I don't know for sure, but uh, but a, a pretty decent showing in Blitz, considering that I was like never fully on form. I thought, yeah, decent showing, good price. So, uh... but instead, I got fifteenth place. Um, so kind of disappointing. I lost some rating. I still like kept 2,800 in Blitz. So okay, that's something, but I lost uh, about, you know, 20 points, 30 points mm -hmm, in Blitz. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, those, um, th those Blitz, uh, Blitz and Rapid ratings are so swingy. Yeah. You can easily, I, I think we need a few more years to kind of stabilize and understand exactly where everybody stands. Um, well, I think you're always going to have swings because it's just, you know, Blitz is like that. It's a bit random. It's like based on your particular form that day where you don't, you know, in classical, you can control things, right? And it's Even also if you're kind way of more games. Form, yeah, you don't, you don't blunder pieces. In Blitz, you're in bad form, you start blundering pieces, you know? Yeah. That's the thing. But if you look at the top rating list in Blitz, Frugia, Nakamura, Carlson, I'm number four, Aroni and Giri, like these are all the same players that are in this, this is literally the same list as in classical. It's just like mixed up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, instead of Aronian, it's it's Nepo, right? The top six in the world. Yeah. But and and Ding, but I think Ding is inactive in Blitz because he hasn't had a chance to play. Yeah. Um, so it's basically the same exact people. If you look at the rapid list of like top Carlson, Ding, Duda, Wesley, Rapport, Maxime, Nepomniashi, I'm eighth. Then Federal said again, yeah, like same as classical, right? I mean, you know, we can talk about how Blitz is streaky and all that, but you see the same names pretty much across the board. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just that every once in a while you see an, a, a somewhat of an outsider. Like, okay, Hike is number twelve in Blitz now, right? He's a bit of an outsider. Yeah, uh, but besides that, it's kind of the same guys. But also Hike kind of just more or less confirmed yeah with this tournament because he he's been playing extremely well on online um in this type of time controls title tuesdays he's been winning a few of those um, definitely has been playing very very well blitz throughout the last couple yeah, of years yeah. Hike, so this Hike was is a conf on. confirmation more or less tournament for him yeah we kind of knew that hike is a legit very strong blitz player yeah um yeah and we see we saw a lot of the, the usual guys like Artemiev, right? He's we know he's very good. He he proved it. Um, Fedorsev, he was among the top in rapid and blitz. Uh, so yeah, and um, Magnus had I, I think like this was a one of his biggest successes to win both. Um, 
super difficult. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's uh, he, winning he, one is difficult, but winning two is super. Um, how, so how, how I think it really meant it? a lot to him. How, how would you assess it? How 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 are your feelings? Uh, how did you feel his feelings are uh, throughout the tournament? You mentioned that at times he felt nervy, uh, but um, obviously. Well, only that one moment in Rapid when he lost, when he blundered a piece to Armtemiev and the, the game after that. Yeah. Besides that, he was um, like remarkably consistent. I mean, basically what he showed was that his level stays consistently high and never, I mean, it it can go very high or it can go to like a, a normal top grandmaster level, but it doesn't ever go to, to shit basically, right? While, you know, whether it's me or Wesley or, or Hikaru Jan, in Rapid. Or Hikaru. Yeah. We can sometimes just play like shit. Have a day <laughs> off, yeah. Or even a game off, right? Well, Mag okay, Magnus can have a game off, right? He, he blundered a piece against Artemia, but it's it's usually not... It's usually one or two games throughout an event. It's not like a, a ton of games. Yeah. Um, consistency is, is so valuable, and uh, and he showed it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so congratulations to Magnus. Uh, big, big year for him. Uh, losing one of his uh, World Championship titles uh but still maintaining two of them so quite impressive i have to say well yeah not losing giving up, <laughs> giving up. yeah giving it up yeah uh speaking of yeah. uh 2023 um actually i i've i've read this funny unsubstantiated rumor i don't know how true it is so it might be very very false but apparently firuja is pursuing fashion he's taking fashion courses have you have you heard of that no where did you hear this from i don't know probably read it i mean i read way too many things so it was probably somewhere like some sort of an unsubstantiated rumor on, on reddit that he's taking uh, fashion courses and that's why he's not playing yeah um <laughs> so i don't want to speculate too much on that i just found it funny yeah i i didn't hear about this uh, I, I can't say I'd take it too seriously. But Probably not. Yeah, maybe. I mean, <laughs> quite, quite, it's... quite a funny uh, change of careers that would be. I think he has a pretty promising chess career. <laughs> so he, yeah. You know, if I were to to give him advice, I would be to focus on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, maybe. I don't know. Did you have time to do? to to think of any resolutions for 2023 no no i mean okay no you, you don't really take those things too seriously huh it's a bit arbitrary i understand it's like it's good to set goals and stuff and i i have goals in general but i don't set them just because uh the you know a new year started yeah yeah there you know there are some some value in that new beginning but i have to say it's more or less the same you, you need to have a consistency throughout the year to achieve whatever goals you set up for yourself so uh, that's that for me mostly i'm just going to try to eat healthier um but because i've been eating like complete garbage uh mostly because of the travel but also i'm i have a sweet tooth so that's 
not yeah. something uh, <laughs> that I can um, That's a good allow one. to go on for 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 a long time. Yeah, the sh the sugar is just killing me. Well, um, you used to be a, a smoker, right? So you. Yes, yes. I also know. used to. Uh, I had a lot of vices uh, throughout my life, and I slowly shut them off. But sugar is is still a big one, and uh, I offset it with working out, and it doesn't look like I have that problem, but I definitely have uh, a nutrition problem. So hopefully I will be able to fix that. A little yeah, bit. sugar is a good one to cut out. I think alcohol, sugar, um, good, good to limit as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. On an unrelated note. Yes. I don't know if you saw this because, okay, the guy has been in the news quite a bit recently for completely unrelated things. But I saw that uh, Andrew Tate played a a chess game against Piers Morgan. Mm -hmm. Did you have a look at? Did you see that game? Mm -mm. I did not. I know that they played some some chess. I know that Andrew Tate supposedly is a, a maybe sixteen hundred uh, level player. Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure about his level, uh, and I would assume Piers Morgan had absolutely no clue what to do. So I would assume it was a trashing. Was it a trashing? Yeah, that's basically what it was. I mean, it was like Piers Morgan's like I was the you know, the best player in my school, something like that. Um, and then they play the game, and yeah, Andrew Tate plays kind of normal chess, like develops his pieces. You can tell he's not like a spectacular player, but he can he can play. He doesn't blunder stuff. He develops normally. Yeah, and. He's playing healthy moves. He takes a pawn uh, early on the opening. He attacks Piers Morgan's queen. <laughs> Piers Morgan doesn't move it. He takes it. Then he takes a long time to checkmate him, but the result is never in doubt. Like, the guy doesn't blunder anything. Yeah. And he sees kind of like simple tactics pretty Basic easily. Basic tactics, yeah, yeah. Basic tactics. So, yeah, maybe like 1600 is a good... 1600 Fair. probably a bit less yeah i mean nowadays 1600s are actually very very competitive at least based on my experience yeah. but like um, it's I, I really don't know what 1600 means i mean that's i don't know if that sounds strange but i, I don't really know what a 1600 plays like i know i know right right uh, i would assume that there's a level of proficiency there right like from my experience they play pretty well up to a certain point um obviously depends on how booked up they are and what type of players they basically are if they are the type of players that are booked up and then after that they kind of collapse or they're more like they have a uh, classical let's say foundation and they're better in let's say the middle game but from my experience they're pretty good in theory and then suddenly they collapse immediately after the opening is finished yeah i i mean i i assume that they don't blunder much <laughs> like blunders are relatively rare not like pieces in one move yeah but yeah two no, three I mean, move tactics they will most likely and they can see like yeah two two three move tactics uh but yeah it's difficult for me to say but anyway, it was it was kind of funny. Was well, like and, it all got and Andrew Tate got got uh, arrested recently in Romania. <laughs> so no, this is why it all got over, got overshadowed because then he like has this little spat online with uh, Greta Thunberg, 
and then like the very next day he he gets um his place raided he's living in romania yeah and obviously nobody cares about the dinky chess game anymore yeah yeah um but then i saw like people were drawing connections to piers morgan because it's like piers morgan interviewed you know uh kanye yay kanye i i, I think Pierce Morgan is into interviewing controversial figures. Yes. But then as soon as he interviews someone, they like, they collapse. They get in trouble, yeah. <laughs> they get in, in trouble. <laughs> so maybe there's, um, maybe it's all Pierce. He's the... Pierce Morgan. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it, it was Kanye, but it was also uh, Cristiano, yeah? Cristiano Ronaldo. And yeah. Then he collapses during the World Cup. He does really bad. And then he signs off. Okay, for... but that's mild. That's mild. No, no, no. But now he signs off for like Al Nasser, who is like uh, in 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 the Arab League, which nobody cares. No, I know. I mean, I, it's it's a yeah. With all due respect, is is a retirement league, yeah. Uh, and I'm a Cristiano well, Ronaldo getting, fan. He's probably getting paid like a billion dollars for this. Yeah. He's getting paid a ridiculous amount of money. He's getting paid uh, two hundred million per year, and uh, that that's five years. Yeah? Yes, or... yes. I think I, I think for like three years. It, it finishes in like 2025. And since we're in 2023, 2024, 2025, that's three years. And I, I think by the end of it, he's supposed to make like around 600 million or some, some ridiculous number. And they broke it down. He earns about 600K a day. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not bad. That's, that's not pretty, bad. Pretty, pretty uh, yeah. Impressive, I have to say. But yeah, um, the GOAT debate is continuing to rage on, but definitely Messi seems to be taking the lead on that one. Uh, Tata's still coming up. Let's finish it up with, with, with this one. Um, I know we said that we're probably going to do a shorter podcast, but we definitely kept it long. Um, Tata's still big tournament, a lot of very interesting players. We were discussing a lot of those players. Obviously, uh, you're going to to be one of those players, but uh, Keimer also plays Abdusatorov, if I'm not mistaken, also in the mix. So, uh, Ding coming from China. We haven't seen, well, we haven't seen Ding play a lot in the last three years. Um, well, we, we've seen him at the Kansas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we see him occasionally and he plays, he still plays really well. Eric Aisi, another one that you are definitely uh, quite interested in uh, Abdus Satorov, Kaimer, Jordan, and Pragnananda. So obviously those are the the youth, and then the experienced is Richard Report, Wesley Anish, Magnus, um, and uh, and yourself. So a very eclectic mix, let's say, of experience and up and coming youth should be yeah. an interesting one. I, I really would like to do well in this one. It's it's not a big prize money event, but um, you know there aren't so many classical events these days. It's one of the last uh, of the let's say legacy tournaments. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this tournament has been going on since the early 1900s. It's it's a cultural icon for sure. It's yeah, it, it's the longest running tournament I would assume at this point by by a clear margin. Unless Hastings is still going on, I, I don't know if that's a, that's still a thing. It's not a but, top level event anymore, so. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, and Magnus is playing, and he he plays this because he likes it. 
like he doesn't play this for money um it's the same reason why a lot of people play it it's you know it's one of those traditional events it has a lot of prestige attached to it even if it doesn't have like a big prize fund or anything uh it's very long very long event um i've won it one time before 2020 last year magnus won the year before jordan von forest won and uh the the year before that pre-covid 2020 i i won and i would like to uh very much like to win it again and I have a, like still it's been a while, but my last two my last two over the board events um, before the world championship uh, at Rapid and Blitz, and my last classical event I, I did quite well in right my, the U.S. championship, and before that was the uh, Fisher Random Chess Night LX. So and I'm hoping that I'm still on. Singfield Cup, yeah, uh, I did okay, did plus one, and. Uh, but yeah, my last classical over the board was the U.S. Championship. The U.S. Champs, so I'm hoping that I can carry over my success from there. But that was a long time ago, you know. It's I haven't played classical chess in in months. Yeah, uh, there will be some some adjustment periods. Well, luckily it's a long event, um, so yeah, that's gonna be interesting. We're actually gonna we're gonna go there together, so it, it should be. It's going to be my first time in Tatasil. Obviously, I've heard plenty of stories about it. Uh, it's a long event. It's yeah, a it should be windy fun. event, but it should be yeah. a, a good time. Cool. Well, Fabi, um, once again, good chatting with you. Uh, it's been it's been a good 2022. Uh, time to make 2023 even better. So we wish you guys uh the same listening to the podcast and watching the podcast uh, on youtube uh thank you all for your support it's been a good first three months and uh, we hope to continue the trend and have more interesting discussions uh throughout the year with interesting people and uh between us so thanks again for the support and we will see you in uh the next one and don't forget we do have a clips channel right now so we would love if you could go there we're going to link it somewhere in the description and uh give us a sub if you like what you see thanks again see you guys next time